Well, first of all, um, I want to say that, uh, like, a a big, giant thank you to everyone who helped decorate. Didn't they do such a great job? They did a wonderful job. Give them a hand. It was really good. The Eisners have been uh, lately really throwing themselves into going above and beyond in uh, serving us and leading us and and making things like that happen. And so uh, make sure when you see them, you express your appreciation for all the, the extra ways they are, they are serving um, and just be an encouragement to them. So, all right, so we are marching through our series on the life of David, our series called In Search um, of a King. And we're looking at a part of David's life this morning when he hits rock bottom. You know, as we've been going through this series, it seems like David's life is getting worse and worse and worse, right? I mean, this is the saddest day in his life. This is the worst day in his life. Well, now again, we look at a day that's even worse than all the previous days, a season that's just dark, and it's sad. It's pretty bad, and you'll see. But here's the thing. What we are going to do this morning is we are going to learn about the, the deceitfulness of sin and, and how hard it is at times to, to kind of sort through life. Now, our, our purpose for this morning is not to, you know, wag our, fan, our finger at David or wag our finger at, at, at anybody else because the truth is these, these times of, of despondency and hitting rock bottom happens to all of us. I am telling you right now, no one gets through this life with falling into a pit of some kind and hitting rock bottom. Actually, it happens more than once. You guys know what I'm talking about? Now, it looks different from person to person. Some, for some people, it is messy. And you, I mean, there's no missing it for others. Uh, they might be calm and cool on the outside, but they're a wreck and dead inside. It looks different for everybody, but everybody goes through it, right? When you fall into a pit, hit rock bottom, crash and burn, you feel hopeless. You feel despondent. So let me ask you, uh, as, as we anticipate going through this section together, what has it been for you? Or, or what is it that's like, you know it's right around the corner? I want you to keep that in mind as we work through this today, okay? So... Our purpose for this morning is to understand what what David did when he fell into it. I mean, he took the wrong fork in the road, and it led to a 16-month downward spiral, a downward spiral of disobedience and compromise and just pure misery, right? And we don't have slides for this morning, but we do, as usual, have a handout uh, in, your, in your bulletin, and if you're taking notes, this is the first point, that unbelief leads to false conclusions. Unbelief leads to false conclusions. Let me show you. Um, if we're, we're, again, we're in chapter 27 of 1 Samuel. In the first verse, it says, but David thought to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. That's where it starts. He says, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. He is talking to himself right now. 
And you know what? There is nothing wrong with talking to yourself. But the problem is that he's talking to himself with, without the right things, right? Without the right words, without the right ideas, without the right perspective. God told David, promised David, that he would be king, right? And God told David over and over again through various types of people, like, like Samuel the prophet, and through Jonathan, his best friend, and through Abigail, his wife, and through King Saul himself. But David chose to reject all these promises. And he says, surely one of these days, Saul is going to kill me. Now, it is important to see that the first step in this downward, this downward spiral to crash and burn, the first step is unbelief. Okay, so as you know, if you've been tracking with us through this whole series, we know that David has seen some horrible circumstances, and they got even worse. And these horrible circumstances have tempted David to doubt God's promises. It is a natural thing to do. Everybody wrestles with that. King Saul was utilizing all of his resources to try to kill David, right? Can you imagine? There was a king of a country that utilized all his resources to try to kill you. You think you might be under a little stress? Just a little bit? So David was on the run. And on the way, when th I mean, things go from bad to worse. He's on the run. Saul's trying to kill him, and he loses his job. He loses his wife. He loses his mentor. He loses his best friend, and then he loses his dignity. But he also experiences uh, victories, spiritual and, and emotional highs, including some, some narrow escapes from Saul. So what's happening here is that David is living life like right on the edge. And it is in times like those that you are most vulnerable. And I'll explain. Sometimes life feels like you're on a roller coaster with no seatbelt, right? And you get banged up and you're filled with anxiety. Something bad is going to happen and, it's, and it is happening. And your pain and your worry and your frustration and your anxiety becomes more real to you than God's promises. In fact, you can't even see God's promises anymore because the pain is right there in your face. Have you been there? I think we all have. But here's what I want us to see. There is a huge difference and an important difference for us to see. There is a difference between conditions and cause, okay? A big difference between conditions and cause. Like David, our circumstances, our messed up circumstances, our messed up life, the mess that we find ourselves, they are the conditions but not the cause of our downward spiral. Circumstances, the horrible circumstances that David found himself in did not cause him to sin. And you know what? Your circumstances, no matter what they are, no matter how messed up and painful they are, they are not what caused you to sin or me to sin. This downward spiral is caused by unbelief. And you know what? When you go through the story, you see that David never looked up to pray until he hit rock bottom. Now, here's the thing. 
we will only have clarity on our messed up life if we are looking at our messed up life through the lens of God's promises. That's the only way that we can have any hope and any clarity or, or, or any courage to, to face, you know, the circumstances. But what happens is we usually look um, at God and his promises through the lens of our messed up circumstances. What's, gonna, what's God and his promises going to look like when you're looking at God and his promises through the lens of just pain and frustration and messed up life? You might not even see God and his promises, right? And it fills you with despondency. David is looking at God's promises through the lens of his messed up life, and it clouds God's promises, and so he doubts God's promises. And he says, you know what? One day, my luck's going to run out, and Saul's going to take me out. This is how this works. Our unbelief then leads us to false conclusions, right? In verse 1, he says, he says this. Listen to what he says. He says, uh, David says, the best thing I can do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. Now, that should jump out at you as like one crazy statement, right? One crazy false conclusion. Because the Philistines are Israel's number one enemy. David says, you know what? Life has gotten hard. I don't think God is, even knows I'm here anymore. I don't even know where he is. I don't feel like he's close to me. I thought I would be king. I don't think it's ever going to happen. Saul, I know, will eventually catch me. And the best thing for me to do is to side with the enemy of God's, God's people. He takes a downward turn, and now he's picking up speed. Now, all right, I think, I think most of us remember a time before smartphones and GPS maps, right? Some, most, some of you do, maybe not everybody, right? Back when we used those ancient scrolls called Thomas Brothers Guides, right? It was a map book made out of paper, and you actually had to turn the pages. We lived like cavemen. And if you were driving in an unfamiliar area and, and you didn't have your handy-dandy Thomas Brothers guide, you were in trouble, especially if you were not willing to ask, stop and ask somebody for directions. Now, when I was younger, I was a little bit more aggro, and when I got lost... Man, I hated it. I would get angrier and angrier, and I would drive faster and faster, and I would get loster and loster. <laughs> Charity, I know that's not a real word. I just made that up. Okay. Right. Here's the thing. That may be dumb, I know, but it is so common when we lose our way in life to go faster and faster in the wrong direction. It happens all the time. And then we get loster and loster. Here in our story, David turns in the wrong direction, takes off with all of his strength, and he picks up speed. David is 
he is just emotionally drained at this point. And he begins to talk to himself. And when you are emotionally drained, you should talk to yourself. You should talk to yourself about God's promises. But instead, David rejects God's promises and he gives in to unbelief. And that is the first step that leads to the downward spiral. If he had trusted in God's promises, he could have avoided all of this fallout. But instead, unbelief leads to false conclusions, right? And then comes the second step in your notes. That, those false conclusions lead to disobedience. Verse 2 says, So David went over to Achish, king of Gath. David took action on his false Conclusions. He left God's people. He left the land of, of Israel uh, where God's people, a promise for God's people, and he sided with the enemies of God's people. You remember earlier in our series, David fled to King Achish, uh, the Philistine king before, right? That time he realized he made a mistake and that his life was in danger. But this time, the Philistines knew that Saul was persecuting David. They also knew that, that David had 600 hardcore warriors, some of the best warriors that ever lived in history, and that they could possibly be a very valuable ally. So Achish welcomes David and his army, and then David becomes a servant to the king of the enemies of God's people. Right? David acted on his false conclusions. And when he did, he set in motion a downward spiral of sin that, that lasted 16 months, and it, hit, it had devastating consequences. From David's experience, we learn five very just difficult truths about sin. But I'm telling you, they are important. They are important lessons. Okay? So first, if you're taking notes, sin affects others. There's no doubt about it. Sin affects others. David did not sin in a vacuum. We're told that, that David's 600 men and their families and David's family went with David into the land of the enemies, Right? And they lived there together. They, and then they suffered the effects of David's sin. I mean, here's, here's the thing. We think that we're not hurting anybody else. We think that, hey, I'm my own person. Don't bother me. What I do doesn't concern you. But that is so not true. We tell ourselves that. We lie to ourselves. But it is not true. No one lives or dies or sins to himself. You always take other people with you. And you know what? Here's the thing. People that we love dearly will, you're putting them in a position, and I'm putting them in a position, to live in the fallout of our sin. Sometimes the people that we love suffer more than you do. But every time the people in our lives suffer way more than you think that they will. There's no such thing as, as, as sinning in a way that doesn't affect other people. Now, here's the second part, if you're taking notes. Sin brings, sin does bring temporary relief, all right? Achish gives David this town of Ziklag, 
like in their, in their land, gives them the town of Ziklag, and, and gives it to David and for, for his men and their families, their children, to live in this town. And for 16 months that David lived, that David and, his fam- and all the families lived there, we're told that, that Saul no longer pursued David. He experienced relief, right? And that is true. Sin can bring temporary relief. It often does. In fact, Hebrews talks about the passing pleasures of sin. The scriptures themselves say that sin has its pleasures. Disobedience does have its exhilarating moments, but they are always passing, and they're always temporary. Sometimes the pleasure is just simply a a, a release of pressure. I'm telling you, following Jesus is not a cakewalk. It's not. There are times when we will be under intense pressure because we live in a broken world, right? And if you opt for the other way, there, there's a release of pre- pressure and you say, ah, oh, this is what I needed, right? But it is temporary. And sin will take you farther than you wanted to go, keep you longer than what you wanted than you wanted to stay, and cost you far more than you wanted to pay. And then the relief becomes a greater burden. And then <laughs> sin leads to deception. Sin leads to deception. While David lived in Ziklag, he lived a double life. He's an Israelite living like the Philistines. David has to win the confidence of King uh, Achish, right? Because he was like this uber warrior with all his men that could probably take out King Achish and all his, his men. And so David had to convince uh, King, Achish, uh, King Achish that he could trust him. So here's what David does. He wages war with the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. Now, these, these were safe people in that they, they were Israeli enemies, but they were not Philistine allies. And David slaughtered these people. It was horrible. It was genocide. It was total extermination. And he did this so word would not get back to King Achish about what he was really doing. Because when, when King, King Achish asked David, hey, you know, where, where did you go on your raiding today? How was your day, David? How did, how did the day of killing go for you? David said, you know, uh, I raided against the Negev of Judah. I was fighting in the southern part down there. And what he was doing was he was implying that he was out killing Israelites, but he wasn't killing Israelites. He was slaughtering all the other ites. David framed the answer in a deceptive way, and the sin got worse and worse. People living double lives are masters of deception. They're trying to look like like moral people while they're locked into a sinful lifestyle. And they become masters of double talk, deceitfully ambiguous. No one can tie down the facts. They're constantly working to cover up the truth. And then, bottom line, sin is idolatry. It's idolatry. Idolatry is the sin beneath all sin. And I'm not just talking about you know, carving little 
little figurines and like bowing down and praying, praying to that. I'm not talking about that. Idolatry is looking to something or someone other than God to be our strength. In leaving Israel and going to Gath, David is looking to Achish to be his strength. He's saying, you know what? I cannot trust God to protect me. Therefore, I will seek strength and protection from King Achish, God's enemy. (laughs) This, idolatry, this is the sin beneath all sin. We're looking to something other than God to be our strength. For example, why do we lie? No one here lies, right? Never. We all have lied and do lie in different ways. Why do we lie? We lie because... uh, in order to get something that that we think we need or just something that we want, right? And here, just just kind of dialing it in here, why do do Christians, Christians who have a different, you know, biblical ethic when it it comes to, to, to marriage and sexuality, right? Why do Christians sleep with each other when they're not married, you know, knowing that it violates, you know, God's word? Is because we think God doesn't really understand what we really need. Forget what God says. Why are we bitter towards people? We're bitter towards people because we think, you know what? God's not in control, and so I got to take matters in my own hands to make them pay, right? And so bitterness stirs up in our hearts and eats away at our soul. And then the result of all that is that sin makes you a slave. The weird thing is most of the time we're not even aware of the fact that that we're slaves. But sin makes you a slave. David is referred to as Achish's servant four times. One time Achish calls David his, his servant for life. And the other three times David is referring to himself as Achish's servant. I mean, do you see how sin just turns things completely and totally upside down? God called David to be his servant and to serve his people. He anointed David to be king and the deliverer of Israel. He chose, God chose David to deliver the Israelites from their enemies, especially the Philistines. And here is David, the servant to the king of the Philistines. You will be a slave to whatever you look to for your strength. You just will be. That's how it works. All right, so you might look to security, right? That's a big one, and that's an important one, because when it comes to our security, we can justify just about anything we do, because I got to do this so I'm okay. I got to do this for my family. That's a common one, right? And then security becomes our idol, the things that we will sacrifice, you know, anything for to to achieve. And we end up becoming a slave to it, right? For example, and this is just, this is just common, this is, this is the norm now. Countless young Christian adults, I mean, for, for, for countless Christian adults all all over, it, it, it can mean that, that you move in with, with your boyfriend or girlfriend and end up giving into temptation and rejecting God's plan for the marriage bed, right? 
and as Christians, you know it's not right, and, and, and you try to ignore the guilt, and, and you know that it undermines God's covenant of marriage, but, but now you can't even imagine moving out because it wouldn't work financially. This is just common. This is, this is all over the place. Or the idea of moving out until you're married fills you with insecurity because you're afraid that you'll lose the relationship if you do. And so what's happening there is that you're putting that relationship with that person above your relationship with God, and then your relationship with that person, ironically, and with God, both suffer. Right? And now you feel trapped. I can't do what's right. I'm locked into this. And you've made yourself a slave to your circumstance. Instead of making yourself a servant of God that trusts him in all things. Now, listen. Time out. Okay? Um, if things got awkward, I'm going to make them a little bit more awkward, all right? <laughs> okay? But I, I want to illustrate something. Um, I, I, first of all, before I do, I want to ask each and every one of you, what is it for you? What is it that, that you are enslaved to? What has become your, your master? And, and you've put that master above God being your master. What is it for you? Examine your hearts. Examine your life. Something is coming to your mind. Okay? Don't, don't dismiss it. Don't bump it out of your mind. Hold on to that. Okay? And now realize that I'm not just preaching to you. I'm preaching to me also. This is not just some big sweaty pastor yelling at everybody else to get their lives together. All right? I have to preach to me too. Now, I hope this helps and is not a distraction. So I want to model this for you, right? For me, the, the, what's enslaving me, for me, um, it's good old-fashioned gluttony. Surprised? No. But it's something nobody's willing to talk about. People are too embarrassed to talk about it. And so you don't, you don't deal with it. You don't process it. I couldn't hide it if I tried, but I can repent. And I'm telling you, I am in the middle of, of that right, right now, and I am taking decisive action, and I am ramping up the accountability, whatever it takes, even me just publicly saying it right now. And I know that it won't be easy. Learning, learning how to look to God in, in, in new ways. And so, therefore... As a community, I need your prayers. As, as I seek to lead by example, to, to publicly model repentance as, as chief repenter, right? To model just faith-filled faith obedience. So, will you pray for me in that? Excellent. So, all right. That's what it looks like. And it can be uncomfortable, awkward, embarrassing. But don't let that short circuit the path to healing. The path to holiness and righteousness and, and true rest found in God. What is it for you? What has enslaved you? First, admit it to yourself. Then confess it, confess it to God because the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So this is a time, if you take this seriously, where you can experience transformation in your life today. 
Next, disobedience leads to despair. Disobedience is a dead end. At some point, when you live your life apart from God or a part of your life apart from God, God will graciously and mercifully lead you to a dead end. By his grace, by his mercy, he will lead you to a dead end. For the prodigal son, if you know the story, the dead end was in the pig pen, right? For David, it was a no-win situation with brutal consequences. If he did this, brutal consequences. Did that, brutal consequences. Chapter 28, verse 1 says, In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces to fight against Israel. All right? War is about to happen. Achish said to David, You must understand that you and your men will accompany me in my army. David's sin and deception has led them into an impossible situation. I mean, he gets called to fight against his own people, to fight against King Saul, as sinful as he was, was the Lord's anointed, against his own brothers, against his closest, best friend, Jonathan. In fact, this is the battle that leads to the death of King Saul and his best friend, Jonathan. And, and so Achish just said, you know you're going to join us to fight the Israelites, right? And David answers, you will see for yourself what your servant can do. David has no clue what he's going to do. Again, his answer is ambiguous. He's filled with fear. And Achish says, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. So David's between a rock and a hard place, right? He can't sneak off, and he can't fight against Israel. But if he doesn't, I mean, he'll be exposed, and the Philistines will, will kill him, kill his men, kill their wives, kill their sons, kill their daughters, just slaughter them. It's a no-win situation, a dead end. Sin does that to you. If God wants to, to intervene in your life and to change your life, and to deliver you from sin, he will graciously wake you up through a dead end. In fact, I think, as a side note here, we can all boldly pray, God, if you're real, right? God, please do whatever is necessary in my life to make me more like Christ. Bring whatever it is, even if it's painful, into my life, if it will make me more like Christ. Does that feel a little crazy to pray? But God is good. He's a loving Father. He's not Zeus in the sky with lightning bolts waiting to, for you to mess up. He, 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 discipline, he disciplines us for, for our good. Because we instinctively hurt ourselves and hurt the other people in our lives if we, don't, if we don't get checked. Right? God provides a way of escape. That's a promise. The question is, do we believe it? The Apostle Paul uh, teaches us that, listen to this, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to everyone. 
and God is faithful. He will not let you be, to, be to tempted, excuse me, beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So you know what this means? This means that no matter how hopeless your dead end looks, no matter how painful and dark rock bottom is, I'm telling you and the scriptures teach that God is always there. He is all, always there ready to help us out of disobedience. The question is, will we take his way out? And sometimes we think, well, I don't think God really knows what he's doing. I'm going to go with my plan. Usually when we get in those situations, we say, you know what? I can't help it. I had no choice but to, but to sin. But that is not true. God promises, promises to show us a way out of disobedience. You just need to look to the opportunity that God has given you, trust him, and take it. I mean, even if it's difficult, even if it's awkward, even if it's frustrating, even if you can't see what the next step or three or ten are. And here's what happened with David. So the Philistines, they draw up battle lines, right? And the Israelites, they draw up their battle lines. And with the Philistines, David and his, and his warriors begin to march with the Philistine soldiers towards the Israeli lines. What is David going to do? Well, the Philistine commanders approach Achish, and, and they speak to him privately, and they say that they don't trust David. And they insist that, that David does not, not go to battle with us because, you know what, he can turn on us and, and like wipe us out. They, Achish resists you know, the, the, the commander's advice at first, but then he says to David, the commanders do not approve of you. Turn back and go in peace. Close call, right? He is off the hook. And God got him out of that situation. But it was not without consequences. Okay? David hits rock bottom. He crashes and he burns. When David and his men got back to their temporary town, uh, back uh, among the Philistines, you know, in Ziklag, where all of the, 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 the wives and, and the sons and daughters, the children, uh, were, were staying, and they were waiting for, for David and his men to, to come back after the battle. When, when David and his men go back to Ziklag to reunite with their families, they found that the Amalekites, another enemy, had raided it, burned it to the ground, and captured their wives and children. That usually meant that they, the, their, their wives and the children would be slaves or killed. But they were gone. And listen to what verse 4 says. It says, David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David was devastated. I mean, talk about crashing and burning, right? And he knew, he knew that it was all a result, all a consequence of his sin. And all of his men knew that too. And then all of his men were so filled with bitterness 
because of the loss of their wives and their sons and their daughters, that they began to talk about stoning David, throwing rocks at him until he was dead. Brutal, brutal way to go. These are men that David trained to be warriors back in the cave. These are men who risked their lives to draw uh, the cap- water out of the captured uh, uh, town of Bethlehem for their king. Now they're planning on stoning him. David crashed. I mean, can you imagine what's, what's running through, through his head? I mean, what will he do? Well, what I want us to see is that David He finally does the right thing. And this points us to the only way out, right? This is our last point, and I'll tell you what it is in a second. The next verse, chapter 30, listen. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. This right here is the turning point for everything. After this, the, the story uh, just takes a totally new direction and it moves quickly. David asks, finally, he finally, he hits rock bottom, he finally gets up, he finally prays, he finally asks God, what should I do? God tells him and David does it and they rescue the women and children and they get back everything that the Amalekites plundered and it says nothing was missing. Saul and his best bud, Jonathan, were killed in the battle with the Philistines. David mourns their death, leaves Ziklag, returns to Judah, and he becomes king. But the turning point, and if you're looking for a turning point in your, in your life, in, in, in the circumstances which have uh, enslaved you, and you cannot figure how to to make it right or how to get out of it, and you feel like you're between a rock and a hard place, the turning point is, but David strengthened himself in his Lord. So let let me explain that. This is the only way you and I can be delivered. Through our Lord God, turning to the Lord our God. And here's what it means. It means that David repented. The only way out, the only way out is repentance. Now when you hear like street preachers or or a preacher being like mocked on television or something, you know, they're always like, when they're mocking, they always use like, you better repent, right? And then we get like this negative connotation towards repentance as if it's a self-righteous, judgmental, you better get your act together and be like me or else. But here's what repentance is. Uh, First of all, Paul tells us that God's kindness leads us to repentance. And repentance means to turn from sin and to turn to God. When David repented, it means that, that he went from looking to something other than God for his strength and, and he turned to God. He, he turned from looking to King Achish for his strength, and he turned to finding strength beyond what he could ever imagine in the Lord his God. 
This is the first time in the story David looks up. Instead of looking at God's promises through the lens of his circumstances and God's promises being all whacked and and just like, I'm just not interested in those, he started looking at his circumstances through the lens of God's promises and then he could see that he had clarity and he had strength. Far more strength than he ever thought was possible. Instead of rejecting his promises, he claimed God's promise and no doubt David is talking to himself again, but now he's saying the right thing. We're almost done here, but I want to point you to uh, point out Psalm 18, a psalm that David sang to the Lord when the Lord delivered him from the hand of his enemies. He got delivered, and he wrote this psalm. And, and maybe there in Ziklag, you know, when he crashed and burned, David took strength in the Lord by singing something like this to himself. L- listen, listen to what it says. He says, he says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. That right there is the turning point. That's the turning point that you're looking for right now in the middle of whatever your situation is. Finding strength by trusting in God's promises. Yes, of course, there are consequences for sin. But no matter how deep uh, the pit, no matter how tight of a spot you find yourself in, or how far down rock bottom is, how badly you crash, the moment you find your trust in the Lord's promises, you will have a new direction, and you will have a new hope. You will have a new joy, and you will have a new strength. That is what lifted up David, and that is exactly what will lift up you and me. So how does that work? Why can that work? It can work because there is a king greater than David. David's failures remind us that David, just like us, is a sinner in need of a savior. And so we are driven once again to look for a king greater than David, to look for that king who never looked to anyone or anything other than God for his strength, the king who always looked up, the king who, who held on to the promises of God, who loved and trusted the Father with all of his heart and all of his mind and all of his soul and all of his strength. The king who loved his followers so much that he went to the cross and there all of our sins were placed on him and he willingly took our punishment for us. He laid down his life for us so that we could be forgiven And on the third day, he rose again from the dead and took his throne. And one day he will return to make all things right. Do you know that king? You can trust him. Maybe you hit bottom. Or maybe you're spiraling down. I don't know where you are this morning. But I do know this. God is always there. He's faithful. Even when we run to more sin for our strength and for our satisfaction and for our security there, he is always there and he will show us a way out. The question is, will you trust him? If your answer is yes, then take it. 
Take that opportunity. Take that, that way out that he's offering you. Look to him. Look to the cross. Find strength in the Lord your God by your reminding yourself of God's promises because he is faithful. Even when we're not, he is faithful. I'll close with this. David went on to write in the Psalms, and he says, The Lord drew me up from the pit, pit of destruction out of the miry bog. And he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that you are renewed like the eagles. You can trust him. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we uh, pray that, that you would give us understanding that you would give us wisdom and insight in, in this moment. God, it, it is our prayer that, that you would show us um, the different ways that we are not trusting you, that the different ways that we are looking to ourselves to be our own God. Looking to ourselves to decide uh, what we are going to do and not do, looking to ourselves and to decide what's, what's, what's right and wrong as opposed to looking to, to you and, and your promises, your grace, the way that is the best way for us. And so God, by your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and, and fill us with um, just gratitude as we look to the cross, knowing that our king, the greatest king, King Jesus, lived for us and gave us credit for his perfect life. And then he died the death that, that we should have died, but he took our place so that we could be forgiven. God, make that real to us. So often we live as if that's not real. We live as if God is not real. And then we choose our own way which seems right to us, but then ends up leading to destruction. Thank you that you provide dead ends where we have to look to you for a way out. God, give us the courage to do that. And God, I pray on behalf of our church that you would do whatever it takes in our lives, even if it's painful, to enable us to look to you for help and for grace and for life. God, we pray these things in your name.